that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome to Buckeye Talk. I'm Nathan Baird with Cleveland.com along with Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. We are 10 days away, actually nine days away, because this is Thursday's episode, nine days away from the opening of the Ohio State football season. Man, it seemed like a long time coming, but then now it's just, it's, it's here in front of our face and it's, it's time to go. I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited. Are you starting to feel the, the excitement build a little bit uh, just in, personally, uh, professionally? Like it, it feels tangible now. Don't ask me these questions. I like football, but I also like not working as hard. So, like, what do you want me to say? Can you, are you super excited for when you're going to be covering Ohio State on Saturday and the Browns on Sunday and working the other five days of the week as well? Are you super enthused for that? No, I like the summer. But, I mean, the fact where we once were, where we once were on August 11th, that we are now nine days away from October 24th with Big Ten football ready to start is pretty amazing. And I know it's not about me. It is about all our listeners out there. This is a thing. It's like you reverse it. Whether, and there was a great debate, and you can look at coronavirus numbers right now, and you can question things. But think about if this wasn't happening, if we were just still sitting here. It's like, hey, great. Hey, Alabama and Georgia are playing on Saturday. And hey, what do you think about? And just like no Big Ten at all. And contrast that with what is actually nine days away. It's amazing to think about the opposite. There's been this sort of weird time warp. I was doing a podcast with uh, the South Stands. Our friends over there had me on as a guest uh, today for one little, I assume, come up sometime this week. And they said, hey, this is like your second year on the beat, right? And I'm like, yeah, I just had my one-year anniversary because I started one week before the season started last season. Then I had to correct myself and be like, oh, wait, no, that's not right. That was actually, that was in August last year. Now here we are. It's going to be October and it's one year before, one week before the season starts and it everybody else is halfway done with the year, it seems like, and, and we're jumping in late. But um, I, I'm starting to feel the momentum partially because of things like what we're going to talk about today, which is the Ohio State depth chart. We feel like after these last couple weeks of interviews that we are starting to get a pretty strong grasp on not just who the starters are going to be for Ohio State, but maybe even what the two deep is going to be. Steven, as you've had these discussions, you've been on these calls with me every day for the last couple weeks, Do you feel like you're getting a better read of that or are you believing some of what the coaching staff is talking about in terms of being multiple and the versatility and that this might be a more difficult year to get a true read on starters and backups as opposed to the average year? I think I have a good idea about who are going to be the first 22 people to take the field against Nebraska. That's what I have. What happens after that happens, but I think based off the conversation, especially after talking to the safeties on Wednesday, I think I, who, the first 11 on offense and the first 11 on defense, I think I can predict. I think that's a good way to put it, and I think safety is a good place to start. We're recording this on Wednesday for the Thursday podcast. On Wednesday, we talked to safeties coach Matt Barnes. We talked to Marcus Hooker. We talked to Josh Proctor, and we talked to the specialist Blake Hobbiel and Andrew Chrisman. But this conversation will start. We're, we're going to roll through the depth chart. We're going to start with the safeties because I thought today's conversation – provided additional clarity to something we'd been talking about for a couple of months. We talked to you in April. We talked about it here on the pod. We put it out on the texts that Marcus Hooker was in the middle of this competition, if not leading it, as far as being the starting safety in this single high look. Matt Barnes today, I asked him 
one of the first questions he got today was, are you guys – okay, so is it the single high safety or are you guys playing around with two? And he says, no, this is our look. This is what we did last year is going to be the base of our defense this year. So that means you're going to have one starting safety. And the description that he gave of what each of these guys does, I think, to me, said Marcus Hooker is the starting safety for this football team on day one. He, what he described was – your dog is licking your face. <laughs> what he described. Your dog my is dog is licking your face. To- Toby wants to get in on this this depth chart action. Um, <laughs> uh, but what but what he described, and Doug, you texted about it. What he described to me was like textbook because all they're talking about this week is how impossible it's going to be to replace Jordan Fuller. <clears throat> what he said this week to me is the description of what you need to replace Jordan Fuller, not what Josh Proctor necessarily does and is good at, but what Marcus Hooker might be the best at so if you're going to have a single high safety there's two things that single high safety has to do and i think actually they've had recent safeties who do both of them and you can lean one way or the other in the job description but you've also have to be able to do both when people talked about jordan fuller jeff halfley said this he was the eraser back there it's really more about the run game and maybe about throws in the middle of the field that are in front of you but you are the last line of defense you're the last guy who can make a tackle So if a run pops, if a crossing route pops, you've got to make the tackle because there's nobody behind you. That is a super important job as a single high safety. The other job of the single high safety is sideline to sideline. You're not getting half the field to cover and help. You're getting the whole field to help on sideline to sideline. So Jordan Fuller, Jordan Fuller wasn't really roaming sideline to sideline in the passing game and intercepting go routes down the sideline, given help. That wasn't his deal but he was a great eraser. You were not, he was not going to miss a tackle that if he would have made the tackle, it would have been an 11 yard run, but now he missed the tackle and it's a 71 yard touchdown. He made that tackle almost all the time. Marcus's brother, Malik Hooker, he's the roamer sideline to sideline. Now they weren't playing single high safety as much back then, but that's exactly what Malik Hooker was. He could cover the whole field and he could make an interception on the sideline when the quarterback never thought he would get there. You've got to be one of those two. So I don't know that we said center fielder a lot with Jordan Fuller, but we said a racer. But center fielder, if you say we need a center fielder back there, that's the word. Matt Barnes, I wasn't on the call. Matt Barnes, but I get the text. I get the text. I subscribe. I'm not only a text subscriber texter. I'm also a customer, although I get it for free because we have a code. I got Nathan's text, and he said, Matt Barnes used the word in describing Marcus Hooker that, right, he's a center fielder. If you are describing your, – your single high safety has to be a center fielder. And then you're describing the two guys who could play that role. One of them you're calling a center fielder. And Josh Proctor, he's saying, is better in man coverage and kind of up in the box. You're describing two different positions. In the old days, Marcus Hooker's your free safety. Josh Proctor's your strong safety. They don't play a strong safety. In the old days – Tyvis Powell was the free safety deep guy before Malik Hooker. Von Bell was a cover guy, hitter, up in the box. So if they were still playing that look, now Marcus Hooker is Tyvis Powell and Josh Proctor is Von Bell, except they don't play a safety in the Von Bell role anymore. So in the end, I think it's – if this is how they're thinking about it and this is how they're describing the skill sets of these two players, it's like not even a competition. Because Josh Proctor's skill sets, frankly, don't fit the safety position that they are using as the only full-time starting position among the safeties 
So it's got to be Marcus Hooker. Doesn't mean Josh Proctor couldn't play it, but Josh Proctor is going to help them in other ways. It sounds like absolutely Marcus Hooker is the starting single deep safety. So then that begs the question, what does this mean for Josh Proctor? Stephen, what, from the conversations that we had today with, with Matt Barnes and with both of these safeties individually, what do you see as being Josh Proctor's role with this team? Because he was a guy that if we were having this conversation last January, which we did, we did have this conversation last January, I'm sure, or February. And we were like, we were not talking about, it was almost like a foregone conclusion that Josh Proctor was not only the next starting safety on this team, but like a guy who could erupt this season. So if we're, if our read on this is accurate, what does it mean for Josh Proctor going forward? It means uh, he might end up in a similar position as last year where when they're playing pass heavy teams with great quarterbacks, that's when we see more of Josh Proctor just because maybe you do need two safeties in that situation like they did against Clemson, but also the bullet might actually be a thing this year because he is, I mean, he can play that to a T because he's boom or bust. But if you have him in the box instead of all the way back there, where if he busts, it's a 60 yard touchdown. He can be, he's a great, he's a great defender against the run. They show he blitzed sometimes against Clemson in that game last year in his 19 snaps. So maybe that's the case. Maybe there are some third down situations where because Baron Browning is now the Sam linebacker, instead of the will, in third down passing situations, the bullet, a.k.a. Josh Proctor, is on the field and Baron Browning is a rusher or maybe just not on the field at all. But the tricky thing about calling him the bullet to me is you don't really want him in there. In... Bullet alert, bullet alert. This is what I'm saying, though. But this is what I'm – let me get to what I'm saying because the that word to me is potentially an early down position. But when you're talking about using Josh Proctor in that position, are you really going to put him on the field instead of a linebacker in that situation? Like, I mean, you're giving up – compare him to what Pete Werner was last year in that role. I don't, I don't really think – I don't think of, of Josh Proctor being able to play – Sam linebacker, which is essentially what that position is. I think we got to. St- I think we may have to stop talking about the positions with any of these guys and only talk about the people, because I absolutely think there could be a time when Josh Proctor is one of your your eleven guys on the field on second and eight or first and ten, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, what is he playing? And it's like, it doesn't. It like it doesn't matter. It's like, what's he doing? So. You could have Marcus Williamson out there. You could have Baron Browning out there. You could have Josh Proctor out there. And any of them might be covering the tight end. And I don't know if it matters whether one is the slot corner, one is the bullet, or one is the Sam linebacker, right? So if Josh – because part of it is where do you practice? So is Josh Proctor – and I, we're not, we haven't been able to watch practice. If we get to – you know, I know you guys watched in the stadium a couple, the other day a little bit. But, like, are Josh Proctor and Marcus Hooker and Lathan Ransom and Bryson Shaw in the same group in practice? Then they're all safeties, right? If, if we see Josh Proctor as, like, in a group with, like, Court Williams and Dallas Gant, you know what I mean? Then it's like, okay, now they're doing some different things. But some of it's just going to be – I could absolutely see, depending on the guy, on second and eight, Josh Proctor is in the game, and then when the play happens, he covers the tight end. I think that's entirely possible. I think there will be personnel groupings where Josh Proctor is not limited to only a third down role. And it's some of the stuff we talked about. There might be a a down where Baron Browning has his hand down, Dallas Gant and Pete Werner are the linebackers, and Josh Proctor is standing next to Dallas Gant. And it's like, what's what's his position right now? And it's like, it doesn't matter. It's like, what's he doing? So, His position is Josh Proctor, the same way as Baron yeah. Browning's position becomes Baron Browning. I mean, that might be the solution 
to this defense. And just like they didn't have a bullet last year because Pete Werner was Pete Werner. So they didn't need a bullet because he was right. simultaneously the Sam linebacker and the bullet. So I don't want to, it's not about is Josh Proctor a bullet. It's about is Josh Proctor a guy who might be in the box with coverage responsibilities, who can also play the run and maybe blitz every now and then. And, and if that's what they end up asking him to do, then yeah, I think he can do that. And I think he can be on the field in more than specialty situations, but I just, it's their fault. It's Ohio state's fault because they dropped this bullet thing on us. Cause it's what they did at Michigan, what Madison did at Michigan. And he brought like the idea of the position, but they didn't really use it. And they, they threw the name around and it didn't match up with responsibilities and it didn't match with personnel and it screwed everybody up. So that's why I, I, I apologize, Nathan. I didn't mean, I accidentally, I bumped the bullet uh, <laughs> alarm. I bumped the bullet alarm with my elbow and it took me a minute to turn it off. So I apologize for that. We've all been there. Uh, but I, so, so it was a predicting this depth chart. We're all, so are we in agreement? Marcus Hooker is the starting safety for this team. Yes. Yeah. That's what I, that's okay. what I think. Let's move on to the cornerbacks. That was obviously another big topic of conversation all off season. We know, Obviously, I mean, we're locking in Sean Wade at one cornerback spot. And I guess the way is I kind of sketch out my 2 deep. I have seven banks starting at the other outside corner. And then I put Cam Brown as the backup at both. Because I think if we're – I don't know if that's what it's going to look like on the page when they release it next Friday morning to us, I guess, when they do the status updates on the depth chart. But my assumption is that he's the first guy coming in at whatever corner spot needs to be filled first and it probably would be more of a rotational thing with seven banks but that's my read on how this starts off early I think someone like Tyree Johnson could still be involved in in first string snaps or first first run defense snaps but I still think it's that primarily a three-man job I guess why do you think Cam Brown is ahead of Tyreek Johnson based on the usage last season I guess mostly I mean Cam Brown was used in real ways last season and Tyreek Johnson was not that's fair I think maybe there've been some indications here and there this season that I'm not sure that's true. Very brief indications. I wouldn't discount Tyreek Johnson as potentially the third outside corner, but I think the general idea that Wade and Banks are the starters at outside corner and excuse me. Yes. Wade and Banks and that Brown and Johnson are behind them in some order. And those are your four outside corners. I would agree with that, I guess. And my question is, I think you're saying, Nathan, Wade probably maybe rotates less than Banks does. Do you believe right. that? So I think if you were sketching out a two deep, and maybe, Stephen, maybe you're thinking this way too. Like if you were sketching out a two deep, would you put Tyree Johnson maybe behind Wade? Because that's the spot that we get. Whoever you think the fourth guy is, would you put him behind Wade on the two deep and have the other one splitting time more with, with seven Banks? Yeah, just for the sake of not having an or or an R, R two deep death chart, yes. But I – I think someone's going to rotate with, with seven banks and Sean Wade's not going to come off the field the same way Damon Arnett and Jeff Okuda didn't come off the field last year. And then one of those four is just not going to play. I think that's what it's going to, whether it's Cam Brown or Tyree, one of them is just not going to play. I'm sorry, you're saying just from snap to snap or are you saying at all? In general, I, I don't. Uh, on snaps that matter. Yeah, on snaps, that's what I mean, on snaps that matter. Because I just don't see a world where you're rotating three guys at one spot like that, at corner like that. I understand on the defensive line, especially on the interior, why you would do that, because that's a physically, you know, abusive job. But as an outside corner, I just don't see 
how that's helpful to have three guys rotating at one position. I, I see what you're saying that. there. They're not yeah. going to do that. No. I, I guess, though, you know, earlier this week, Ryan Day was talking about depth and, and playing to depth and all that stuff. And how much of his coach speak, how much is it real, I don't know. But he mentioned, Sean Wade, he mentioned Sean Wade specifically as a guy who's not going to play every snap. Justin Fields is the other person he said – was the only person he said that applied to, which I don't believe. I don't believe they're going to rotate every offensive line spot, for instance. They're disingenuous. I mean, it's, it, uh, we're just – because we're here for the readers. They're talking about blowouts. I mean, like, we get it. Who's going to play when it matters? Who's going to play against Penn State? They're not going to rotate the guys that matter in the games that matter. So when he, I mean, they're just doing preseason talk, but like, I want to make sure that we are dismissive of it because I, I'm will, there are certain ways that I think they could potentially play more guys in actual personnel packages this year, especially on defense, but they're playing their five best offensive linemen. We know they're rotating the tight ends. They're going to have the six man receiver rotation They're rotating the backs, but like some of this stuff, Sean Way's not going to play every snap. Yeah. Because against Rutgers, they're going to put Cam Martinez or whatever. I mean, I get it. But Sean Wade's playing a boatload, just like Chase Young and Jeff Okuda did last year. But, but I don't but, believe that was the context in which he was saying that. And I'm not saying he was being truthful. I'm just saying that's not the context in which he said it yesterday. What did he say? He said he was we're going to play specifically our about starters. Yes. I, my impression was that he was talking specifically about starters and that Justin Fields is the only one who's going to play every snap because Justin Fields not going to play every snap of blowouts. The point of the matter is Sean Wade's not coming off the field if the game is called, is, is a game. It's that simple. So it comes down to – I wouldn't do it, who, but I'm not – there, not He's not going to do it. What it comes down to is Seven Banks is – we think Seven Banks is the starter and either Tyreek Johnson or Cam Brown will rotate with him, and the other one's not going to play meaningful snaps. All right, fair enough. Now, but now the other thing – but, I mean, Stephen, you don't know that. I mean, you don't have any reason to be 100% definitive because the one thing is that Kerry Combs has rotated his corners before. So uh, you don't know for a fact. So the thing I'm saying is when coaches say we're going to play our depth, they don't mean in, in games that matter and snaps that matter. And then they can point and say, look, we played our depth. It's like, cause every now and then it's not even, it's not garbage time, but in the second quarter, they'll put all the backup linebackers in for the fourth series. Right. And they say, look, we played our depth. It's like, yeah, you're up 17, nothing on Nebraska. Congratulations for playing your second team linebackers for a thing. We don't know about what Kerry Combs is going to do. We don't. So we don't know 100% that they're not going to rotate both corner spots. We just don't know that. In the past, what Kerry Combs did is often rotate three guys through the two spots. So I agree with you. They're not going to rotate three guys through one spot. So if Wade stays on the field, then, yes, it'll be Banks and then either Johnson or Brown probably rotating at the other spot. I'm not a 1,000% sure that there won't be some – some bit of a rotation because Kerry has done it before. Kerry took Marshawn Lattimore off the field. Kerry did it. Kerry's done it in his history. So that's why I am, I think you're probably right, but I'm more dismissive at like other places where they act like they're going to rotate and it makes no sense and there's no history of it. Where at corner, I think it's going to depend how much man they play. Because if you're playing man and you're yeah. running down the field every snap with guys, then you do need a more of a blow. If you're a mix of cover one and cover three and you're playing some off coverage and you can break on the ball and you're not just chasing guys constantly locked on guys all day, that affects it. When Kerry was here before and he was rotating three guys through two outside spots, they were man every snap. Last year, they weren't man every snap. What Barnes said today about single high safety is, 
it, if, it doesn't, if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? That's what they did last year. It worked. They're going to keep doing it. The other thing they did last year is do a mix of cover one and cover three. So I don't know that he talked about that specifically, but if you assume in general, the secondary plan is going to be the same it was last year, which is what we talked about a lot, that it wasn't Jeff Halfley's plan. It was Ryan Day's plan executed by Halfley. Then that means also more of a mix of man and zone which also means you probably don't have to rotate your corners quite as much. But I'm curious about exactly, I mean, on the list of things that I want to see the most against Nebraska, exactly how the secondary rotates and who does and doesn't play is very high on the list because I'm not 100% sure of, every, of anything. No, yeah, I'm not no, either, but that, that idea of you know, the mixture that they had last year is part of why I maybe said it with such definity because it, it, you're right. If it is just man all day, it wouldn't make sense for them to just play two guys the entire time because you're going to give up some stuff. But I, I think in the world where Matt Barnes said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, and it just seems like they're going to – it's a continuation of what they did last year, there's no reason unless you think that the guy behind this Lamar Sean Lattimore, which is Sean Wade, is Denzel Ward, which is also why he rotated. He was rotating with the guy who was the number four pick in the draft. So unless we think that's what Tyree Johnson's going to turn into this year, or Cam Brown, either one, well, Sean Wade moved outside after manning the slot last year, which opened up the slot position. So what we've heard, what we've the intel we've received is that Marcus Williamson might be in position to take that job. Other names we've heard, um, uh, Cameron Martinez, the true freshman coming in. I don't think that's a, a potential starter right away. Ronnie Hickman. We've heard a number of names there. I, my guess is that it's Marcus Williamson. Everything we've heard is that's the, the front runner there. It's not a guess. It's not yeah. going to be Ronnie Hickman. Ronnie Hickman's no. not going to start. You know it's going to be Marcus Williamson. They haven't mentioned a single of those other four no. outside corners that we're talking about rotating. They haven't right. mentioned any of them in the slot for a second. Mm -hmm. And everybody else in the slot is like a young guy who's never done it. So Marcus Williamson's the starting slot corner. And I don't know. I don't know how a rotation would work there, which is why I think it's possible that like Josh Proctor works into some stuff in there that at times – if Marcus Williamson's not on the field, it's because Josh Proctor is, not because a backup slot corner is in instead. Especially in a world where, like, like Matt Barnes said today, like we talked about on the last pod, if the safeties and cornerbacks are in the same room or not. And yeah, Matt Barnes said they are in the same room, so they're learning the same stuff. So that, that's But they're a, not playing the same position. No, they're not. But if Josh Proctor's in a position where he needs to end up guarding a slot receiver for, for a, down, a snap or two – He'll at least know what to do for two or three snaps a game. Last week on his radio show, Ryan Day, I can't remember if it was the, the quick hit on Monday or if it was his usual Thursday show, but he was asked about the safety situation. I think it was Thursday. And when he was asked about the safety position, he started naming, behind Proctor and Hooker, started naming Marcus Williamson, Ronnie Hickman, Bryson Shaw. So some names that we had heard that were – probably going to be the slot corners and that made me think like how much interaction could there be between those two positions if if especially if you're talking about someone like Proctor in a in in those man situations in those those maybe more um run heavy situations is he someone that they would use in in that position or is it more of a even in a later down situation I suppose so the issue is so makes my head hurt again a little bit because it's like there is a world where you don't have a slot corner because the guy covering the slot is your strong safety who comes down in the box. And if there's right. not a slot receiver mm -hmm. in the game, then he's a second deep safety with the free safety, but that's what they got away from. Because if your slot receiver 
is KJ Hamler or Rondale Moore, and they are the best receiver for the other team. And every snap, what you're doing is covering them with a safety. It's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why wouldn't you have someone who is an expert and their best skill is man-to-man coverage cover the best receiver? And so that's how you got, so how, that's how Ohio State gets to a slot corner where, okay, it's not some safety chasing Rondell Moore. It's Sean Wade, who is a cornerback, who is a top 50 national recruited cornerback. So if they're playing Rondale Moore, then you've got to have someone who can cover Rondale Moore. If you're not that scared of the slot corner, and then you want that guy in the box to also help against the run to be a blitzer every now and then, now you open up a lot of different things. And that's like Von Bell was a, was a pretty good, I think, cover guy as a, as a safety. I think what Barnes was saying today, Josh Proctor could be a pretty good cover guy as a safety. But, you know, it depends who, that, who they're covering. So I think that's where you get some mix and match. I think it's uh, based on down and distance. I think it base, it's based on the personnel of the opposing offense. And they will end up doing a lot of the same things, but I do think like the skill set of Marcus Williamson and the skill set of Josh Proctor are different. And so how you deploy them, even if they're lined up in the same spot, you're not expecting the exact same thing from them when they're in the game. And so – you, you use them based on what you think is going to happen on that play. So we, we establish what we think is the, the three starters at these corner spots. However, if Ohio State plays a team with uh, a KJ Hamler, if they faced Purdue, I guess it would have to be in the Big Ten Championship game this season, but another team with a slot like Rondell Moore, do they leave that up to whoever's been playing slot receiver, or does that become Sean Wade's job that day for the 2020 team? I think it depends how good Marcus Williamson is early on, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's one of those things. If, if I think you tell Sean, be ready. And if Rondale Moore has seven catches for 116 yards in the first three drives of the game, Sean Wade might be coming home. Back to the old slot corner spot, baby. So that's a great backup to have. It's like, who's your backup slot corner? Sean Wade. Oh, yeah, he's the backup slot corner. How's that work? Uh, he's going to play slot corner if we're really getting killed in the slot because he could play it in his sleep and it might help us win the game. Wow, really good slot corner to have there. That sounds like a plan. But the rest of the time, he's going to be chasing you know, Rashad Bateman on the outside if Minnesota doesn't have a slot who's killing you. So, I, listen, I do think I thought it's going to work in when we get to the linebackers, if you know, we talk about other stuff – I think Pete Werner kept them from using a lot of multiple personnel looks last, last year because he was everything in that position. So that outside linebacker and then Sean Wade as a slot corner was a perfect slot corner. I just think it opens things up both in the cornerback room with the Marcus Williamson crew in the safety room with the Josh Proctor crew and in the, in the outside linebacker room with guys like Dallas Gantt. I think there's going to be, more mixing and matching based on personnel groups this year than we saw last year. Let's move down to the linebackers since you brought up Pete Werner, because there have been some shifts there. Steven, I guess just, again, you've been on all these calls. We've been talking about this for months. What's your guess? What I guess guess is the wrong word. I think we, I think we can, we're stronger than a guess at this point. We have very, very educated guesses. So it's more than a guess. How do you see the linebacker, those three linebacker spots shaking out to start the season? Baron Browning's the Sam, um, Sam linebacker, Tough Bowen's the Mike, and Pete Warner's the Will. And then 
the not the second string Mike is going to be Taraja Mitchell. I know that's I know for sure those four, and then the fourth linebacker, if they play at Wisconsin, is going to be Justin Hilliard. That's that's his role on this team now. Whether Kayvon, with Kayvon Pope and Dallas Gantt, which one's the Will, which one's the Sam, I think that's up until I, we might just have to see that play out because as Al Washington has said, guys have been kind of moving around and playing different positions to try to be versatile. So who ends up actually being the second string at those specific spots in the linebacker room? I mean, I, I guess you can just throw a slash and put both of their names on it for now, but I know at least those four that tough's the starter – at his position, Taraja Mitchell's backing him up, and then Baron Browning and Pete Warner are the outside guys, and then Justin Hilliard's number four. So I know that we had all along talked about Taraja Mitchell as this like combo guy at the mic. I believe in the spring, though, he said he was working at Will. Now, we didn't get to see them beyond those first couple days, but I, I think that might actually be more the role that he's been angling towards is being an inside linebacker but being inside, being at that Will spot. Well, they're both in the box. That's why the coaches say Will and Mike are so similar. They're the two linebackers in the box. The Mike is in charge of sort of calling the defense. But, yeah, didn't they sort of say it's more like Taraji at the Will and Gant at the Mike a little bit? But, again, that's I a think, trend I I've interchangeable. Been, yeah. And, again, it may, be, it may be somewhat academic. And we don't know if we, – we've sort of assumed that they would maybe try to go find someone to be a combo with Tough Borland. But maybe you don't do that if you don't – believe in that second person as much as they believed in, in Baron Browning last season. Do we think there's any role here where does, does Justin Hilliard potentially have a bigger role than we're expecting? And, and Baron Browning is not a guy that they want to use in that Sam position on early downs. I just don't know. Do, do we think that makes the most sense using Baron Browning to like escort tight ends around the field a little bit the way Pete Werner did last season? I didn't think it was, but I mean, he's clearly probably shown some things over fall camp to change that. But I thought the Will linebacker was a match made in heaven for him when he talked about it in the spring. Listen, people overplay Justin Hilliard because it's a good story and he's a great guy. He played 106 snaps last year. When it's not Wisconsin, he's not going to play. I mean, that's just the truth. If, if people can like think that's wrong, it's not wrong. He's not a linebacker in a normal set. He's a linebacker against the super heavy run team where they're playing a fourth backer, which is very rare. He might be in on short yardage. He might be in on goal line, that kind of thing. I think Dallas Gantz, the guy that factors it in, because the thing we have to talk about are who are the two nickel linebackers. So tough Borland's not going to be on the field on passing downs. So in situations where they only have two linebackers on the field, who are those two going to be on third and eight? Who are the two linebackers? And Pete Werner's going to be one of them. Yep. My guess would be that Baron Browning a lot of times is going to be up on the line of scrimmage at a rush end, and like Tyreek Smith is going to slide into tackle, and that's going to be their rushman look. And so then who's the other linebacker? And that's where I think it's going to be Dallas Gantt. So I, I, think, I think a guy, like a backup linebacker, is going to have a true role that in the past, you know, last year, Again, when they had Malik Harrison, Pete Werner, and Baron Browning, those were sort of – they had four linebackers who played, right? Mm -hmm. Browning and, and Borland kind of shared the middle. Harrison and Werner were outside. And then when you went nickel, you knew Tuff wasn't going to be in. And then two of those other three were in. But just the way the linebackers fit this year, I think the nickel package, a, a, like a non-starting linebacker, will be in there with Pete Werner is my guess how that will go. Let's talk about the defensive line where that's the one spot where there's maybe the most uncertainty as we get to the cusp of the season. And I, we didn't think that that was necessarily going to be the case 
even just a couple months ago, but some things have, have played out there. We'll talk about the ends first. I think this is where it's, it's a little bit easier to project. And I don't know that – I'm not saying starters mean nothing. Um, I'm putting Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison down as the starters. And then Jonathan Cooper and Tyler Friday uh, opposite them in, in some capacity probably as your next guys up. We talked about this pretty in-depth last week on the podcast, so we don't have to go too deep. But, I mean, that's that, that seems like a pretty obvious setup. And then Javante Jean-Baptiste may be mixing in there in, in some capacity. But they're going to rotate those guys pretty deep, I think. Will anybody be surprised if Jonathan Cooper is one of the, quote, starters? No. No. I, Especially yeah. not for opening day. Like, it's I like a, be a reward, you know what I mean? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of the first guys to take the field just because of that, even if he doesn't end up playing the most snaps. Like, yeah, if they started Smith and Jonathan Cooper or something like that and then just had, you know, Zach Harrison came in on the second series and then that was his gig from then on, like, that that wouldn't surprise me at all. That might even be the case for the first few games where it's Jonathan Cooper might be the starter, but when you look at those snap counts, it's Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith. I think that might play out, like, over the course of the year. I think it's very possible that, like, when we go through the who started at defensive mm-hmm. end, you're going to see Cooper, 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 Cooper. And then when we go visit our friends at 11 Warriors and look at their snap counts, <laughs> Cooper's going to be fourth or fifth among the defensive ends and actual how many snaps he got. And that Smith and Harrison will be first there. But uh, it doesn't really matter that much. But as a point of information, if the – if we're thinking about the 11 that are going to take the field for the first defensive series against Nebraska, I bet Jonathan Cooper's one of those 11. Mm-hmm. I do, it just seems like one of those obvious positions where we're going to get ands as the starters for season one on the, on the depth chart that they release. That's not what we're talking about. We're trying to talk about what's actually going to happen. But what Ohio State presents to us, I think it's going to be Jonathan Cooper and Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and it's going to be some kind of combination of that. And I wonder, not that they necessarily rotate the ends like in pairings. You know, it's not necessarily like, hey, here's the here's group one. You guys play this series. And group two, you guys play this series. It's more about sort of like an individual spot. They just kind of move everybody around. But there might be even something, the idea of, well, we like it, like Smith and Cooper, and then we go to Friday and Harrison. You know, that even that maybe, I mean, if you think that, I mean, we've all been saying it. If your guess is that Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison are your two best ends, maybe don't play them together as much. Maybe play them with the second guy so that there's not as much as a, of a drop-off. But, and again, and there will be times when Smith and Harrison are on the field together. But I also probably think Probably fourth something. quarter there's when the game – Yeah. When the game is actually – it's time to go win the game. That's probably what it is. Those two will be on the field together in the fourth quarter. But I think you're right. The but, first, second, and third, it'll be just a mix and match of all of them. But you just take them out when you're tired. I mean, it's yeah. like you go back, it's like go look at like the most important snaps in 2017. And it's like sometimes it's Sam Hubbard and Tyquan Lewis. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's Nick Bosa and Jalen Holmes. And it's not like a lot of times it's not some master plan that Larry Johnson had. It was like, you know, Sam Hubbard played first and second down and he got tired. So then they put Bosa in and then he played mm-hmm. and then Tyquan Lewis got to just keep him fresh. So hypothetically, if you had to write a post, say for cleveland.com, that was going up in the morning that had the depth chart spelled out, <laughs> hypothetically. With this podcast embedded in it. <laughs> would Jonathan Cooper be one of your starting defensive ends? Yeah. I think I'm talking myself into that too. I think it's, like I say, I think it's going to be an and situation, but I think I would probably put him, maybe put him and Harrison on one side and Tyreek Smith and Tyler Friday on the other. And are you so you're leaving Jean Baptiste out of that? Or are you doing a double or at a spot? And again, that doesn't matter. We because we already did the whole podcast about how they're going to rotate 
with the snaps there. We do think Friday I'll get some snaps inside and that'll open up more snaps at end for the other four. Um, I mean, I, I just think that when you think about it, so if we really think about it, I think there's going to be five defensive ends that play. I think if we assume that, ha- and we haven't gotten the tackles, but I think there'll be four tackles that play most of the time. So that's nine guys, nine guys in the defensive line that play regularly every game. I think there's going to be at least four linebackers, maybe more that play. I think there's going to be five corners that play. So that's another nine. That's 18. And you got a deep safety that's 19. And then like Brock Proctor and his role. I think there might be 20 guys that like legitimately play actual roles that matter, that have actual jobs based on a, a rotation or B a common personnel grouping that gets them on the field. And so Nathan, please express that in a depth chart. <laughs> like, cause that's I think there may be like a little notes thing that goes under each position to be like, here's what I didn't put up there, but it's like what you're saying about the nickel linebacker. Like we don't really have a spot when we put out the depth chart, we don't really have that spot there. So there needs to be a place to say, um, Hey, this is probably where, where last year Baron Browning was doing this. Now he'll probably be up front. That'll be Dallas Gant, that kind of thing. I think that there's value in that, but it, that you have to kind of look beyond the depth chart inside the depth chart inside. That's a good headline. But I also do think the idea of maybe as many as 20 guys playing real roles on the defense is interesting. And I think that's yeah. a little different than the past. That's probably, that's probably pushing the envelope a little bit on depth. So I don't, like, I don't like bogus coach talk about depth. But I think when you really start breaking it down, both in what they want to do schematically and how this particular set of personnel – fits the scheme i do just think you're you're opening up the window a little bit on on maybe three four guys playing more than in the past so that would be three more than what they had last 17 guys played had like real roles when you combine the defensive line the four linebackers and then never taking those secondary guys off the field so yeah there's three extra guys who are going to have roles and that's because well you don't have a number two pick on your defensive line and you don't have a number three pick in your secondary yeah. yeah. How much of this, like the, that, that added um, depth that they would end up using, do you, how much of that is because that's what the personnel is? How much of that is because Kerry Combs actually has a vision for a defense that is more multiple and maybe does utilize more personnel just in general every year? And maybe the third option be a combination of both. I think it's a combination of both. I think part yeah. of it is that yours, you don't have three first round corners as you did last year and as you did in 2016. So that opens some things up for some other rotations. I, I, I don't think Marcus Williamson's going to play like 70 snaps, you know, however many snaps that Sean Wade played last year at slot corner. I mean, sh- last year, Jeff Okuda played 693. Damon Arnett played 608. Sean Wade played 529. And then Cam Brown played the fourth most snaps among corners at 254. I don't think the gap. So Sean Wade and slot corner, played more than twice as many snaps as the next, as a corner who played the next most snaps. I don't think that gap will be as wide. So I think that's partly based on scheme, but I think that's more based on personnel. Just that yeah. Marcus Williamson's not Sean Wade, no offense to Marcus Williamson. And then some of it is maybe what Kerry wants to do, but also um, I just think you felt pretty good with the four linebackers you had last year. 
right, with Borland, Browning, Harrison, and Werner. I think you lose Harrison. The way you're replacing Harrison isn't quite with a guy that needs to be out there all the time, right? So I think, I think it's actually more personnel-based. And if they had a bunch of five-stars running around, they'd have more, more guys who are going to play every single snap. More personnel-based, but the recruiting shows you that it's probably something they want to do going forward because you don't recruit five, five defensive backs, four of which who are actually going to be defensive backs when they get here, unless that's the plan you want to have going forward. Yeah, you do. They have holes. They have, they've missed like on two straight defensive back recruiting classes and didn't get enough numbers. They, I mean, I, I, they're not going to have more. Are they going to have more defensive backs on the roster than they do now? I mean, they, the, they're, not, they're not recruiting their defensive backs because they're changing the scheme drastically. They're recruiting a big class of defensive backs because that guy decommitted last year when Halfley left and because Jordan Battle decommitted two years ago, right? And they Do you have, disagree with that, Stephen? Do you disagree well, with that? No, I, 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 I don't disagree. They also, lost, they also lost two defensive backs to other issues in the offseason, too. They, they, just, they got thinned out a little bit in numbers at defensive back. Here's the thing. The coaches tell the recruits that because the, they need to tell the recruits that. They tell every recruit, your position that we're recruiting you to, and by the way, there's like four other guys in your class at your position. The reason we're doing that is because we're going to play seven corners. It's not true. They're not reinventing defense. They just they have a hole at cornerback that they need to fill in this recruiting class. But I don't think they're drastic. Listen, if a couple of those kids become All-Americans – the other kids who aren't all Americans aren't going to play. So that's just the deal, man. Moving inside the defensive tackle before we take a break. Cause that's like the most still up in the air spot on this team. I would say Tommy Togiai, I write him down in ink as the starting nose. And then what happens after that, especially opposite him at the three technique is, is very up in the air based on the health of multiple guys right now. Haskell Garrett, Shot in the face in the offseason, still coming back from that. He's been at practice, but as of 10 days ago, or at least even just last week when we talked to Larry Johnson, he was not a full participant in practice yet, so we don't know what his readiness level will be for opening day. Teron Vincent was not at the practice, or not at the portion of practice that we saw. We were told he was at practice that day, but we did not see him involved practicing with the football team. And Larry Johnson talked last week, like, I mean, his words were, it's a slow process, a slow recovery that he's still coming back from his, his various injuries that he's had um, over the past couple of years. So if I'm writing this down tomorrow, I've got Tommy Togiai as my starting nose. I got Antoine Jackson as the starting three technique behind them. It's some combination of John Cage, Jaden McKenzie. I think there's probably some other names that you could float in there of much younger guys. But it's not the area many names. Not, not, not many. many. Yeah. Not many. It's, you start getting into true freshmen. So I think that this is the area of this team that is the most uh, potentially thin on any kind of veteran talent for opening day. I mean, you're talking. I mean, Anton Jackson is a veteran. He's been around. He's been to two major college football programs so he knows what's going on it's just he just hasn't had to play a big role yet at Ohio State maybe this is setting up for him but they rotate traditionally they like to rotate six guys through those two spots and after the top two if those other two guys can't go for opening day it's it's you're asking a lot of guys who haven't haven't asked to do much of anything so far I wouldn't be surprised if Tyler Friday shows up as the number two guy yeah at three tech I don't know if he'd be the. I mean, you think he would play in even non-passing downs? Like I see it in rush in like rushman situations or passing downs, like like pass rush situations. I could see him at the three technique, but otherwise, I think you want a, 
You a real tackle what? there. Yeah, who are your tackles? Yeah, who it's, who aren't it's that good. Jackson. I'm just saying, in week one, I think Tyler Friday is your number two three tech. Just because I think, I think Tyler options. Friday is a much better football player than anybody else they could put there. Behind. That's probably yeah. that's probably true. Jackson. I'm not saying that'll be all season, but I think in week one, he's going to be your number two three tech. And when we talked about the comparison on that defensive line podcast, like when Jalen Holmes moved inside when they had some injuries there, Jalen Holmes, when he moved to defensive tackle, he wasn't only there on passing downs. He moved inside mm-hmm. to play it. So we know the Rushman look is going to – Larry Johnson's going to dial up some crazy stuff and move guys around. I, I do feel like whatever – maybe Tyler Friday's 12 pounds lighter than they'd like a defensive tackle to be, but he's also a better football player than the other options and a more experienced football player. Uh, that's actually probably a good way to put that. So that might be the guy. Maybe that's so. If you were doing it too deep, you put him as the backup at three tech for opening day, and then the Jaron Cage, Jade McKenzie stuff. That would be more what you're putting behind Togia. Yeah, which is why I think Javon Zing Baptiste is probably going to be the number two defensive end. Yeah, that's probably true too. Not that this is the only thing. Cage played 88 snaps last year. McKenzie played 11 snaps last year. And Tyler Friday played 220. Now he played him at end, but Tyler Friday has played actual snaps in the mm-hmm. Big Ten for the Ohio State yeah. Buckeyes. I think that's a good way to put it. And so I'm going to recap this real quick before we go to break. So the way we see it at defensive end, you're going to get an and. It's going to be or an or. I guess is the better way to put it. Zach Harrison, Tyler Friday, Jonathan Cooper, and Javante John Baptiste probably for opening day. Some combination of those four guys. Um, and Tyreek Smith as the starters. Oh, and Tyreek Smith. That's who I meant. Yeah. To, I meant to mention Tyreek Smith instead of Tyler Friday there, because we're saying Tyler Friday is the backup at three technique behind Antoine Jackson, uh, next to Tommy Togiai knows. And then man, your, your guess is as good as ours, but Jerron Cage, Jade McKenzie, that, that level player, um, at linebacker, Pete Werner at, at will tough Borland in the middle, Baron Browning at strong side at corner, Sean Wade, seven banks. And in the bank situation, it'll probably be Cam Brown or Tyreek Johnson, somebody else trading off with him. Slot corner will be Marcus Williamson, probably someone like Ronnie Hickman behind him. But we've also talked about what role Josh Proctor and maybe some other guys could play there, depending on what they do with the safeties. And then at safety, Marcus Hooker starting over Josh Proctor. I think that's a much better, just in the last two weeks, I think we've gotten a much better sense of how that's going to shake out than um, we might've had even as recently as August. So um, it's been kind of refreshing to get a better picture of the team. We're going to take a break there. We're going to come back and kind of break down the offense the same way you were talking, you were listening to Buckeye Talk. We're back on Buckeye Talk. We're breaking down what we believe the Ohio State depth chart actually will be going into the season. They will release one as traditionally they've been doing it. They did it last season, released it on the day before the game. So we will put that out every week at cleveland.com, usually like 10 a.m. the day before the game, Fridays before the game, if they happen to be playing on a Saturday. Hopefully they play only Saturday games this year. Um, but this is what we – sometimes what that says isn't what's actually going to happen. So we're trying to break down what we think actually will happen. Uh, they have not actually named a starting quarterback yet. I don't know that I've seen it officially out there. But I hear this Fields guy is pretty good. That's who I'm – I'm marking it down. Justin Fields – starting you got you guys can copy me if you want justin fields will be the starting quarterback for ohio state you can you can joke about it go look go google the people who actually wrote that there was like a justin fields gunner hope competition yeah last summer go find them go find Legit. the stories of the people who actually wrote that all because he just wouldn't name him because he wanted him because of you know coach talk so 
That was, that's what the that's what the questions were at Big Ten Media Day. That's why I don't listen to what coaches say sometimes, when I know they're not saying what actually is going to happen. Well, no, no one's uh, even pretending that that's going to happen this year, obviously. But where there is, I think, some intrigue is who would be the second quarterback in. I wrote something today about how they've I, I, talking to Ryan Day, talking to Corey Dennis. I don't really feel like they're that – I mean, they're saying that they're going to have someone ready. I don't know that they're that excited about where these freshman quarterback are at this point in their development because they didn't get to have some of the time they thought they were going to have, especially, you know, live reps, those sorts of things, as live as quarterbacks get because they don't let them get hit. Um, if I had to pick one today, I guess I would pick C.J. Stroud. That's We know that, that he's been the next guy up in drills and things like that and in reps that – we've heard of in, in practice and things like that. I do wonder though, if it was a situation like last year, you know, Justin Fields, his helmet comes off. Does Gunnar Hope go in for that one play? But if something were to happen where they needed someone for a longer period, that's where the freshman would maybe take over. So they're not going to name, they're not going to do anything to no. make any of the two freshmen upset. So this, they went through this um, in 2017 with Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow. And we've asked them a million times who's the backup quarterback, and they didn't name a backup quarterback. And I think it will be game to game who is the first guy in, like in the blowout when Justin comes out in the fourth quarter, who comes in. I think sometimes C.J. Stroud will be first. I think sometimes Jack Miller will be first. I think maybe sometimes Gunnar Hoke will be first. And we won't actually know who they actually think is the better quarterback unless Justin Fields cannot play at an important time. And then we'll know. Mm -hmm. And until that happens, and everybody listening to this, and us too, hope that never happens, we won't know. Because what they don't want to do is, is have anybody bail before they battle this out next spring. And as soon as somebody feels like, hey, well, I'm behind already, then all of a sudden that opens that door for the guy who feels like he's behind to bail. So unless it's obvious, and this is one of those things where this is not going to be about talent, I don't think. Sometimes it's about messages. Sometimes it's about feelings. Sometimes it's about, you know, keeping everybody happy. So if we do get a sense, if all of a sudden Jack Miller is coming in every single time, then maybe something's going on that it's like, they're, you know, what's up with C.J. Stroud? Or reversed, if C.J. Stroud's coming in every single time, what's up? I will be very surprised if that happens, though. And I think they will attempt to give us as little information as possible about the C.J. Stroud-Jack Miller battle all year. Steven, let me ask you this. If Justin Fields in the, on the second series of the first quarter of the Nebraska game jams his pinky finger on his left hand, something that takes him out of the game but isn't going to be some kind of long-time concern, but something where he has to come out of the game for maybe the rest of that series or the rest of the court, I don't know, something like that, who's playing quarterback for Ohio State? I guess Nebraska, I think it's going to hope just because he's been in the system longer and he got to have a normal year of going through things while – just in talk after talking with uh, Corey Dennis about it, there's kind of a catch up that has to be played with CJ Stroud and Jack Miller because they just missed a very vital eight months of being at Ohio State in person and being able to go through that development. So in game one, I think it's Gunnar Hoke. I think you might be right. And I think that this will be like Doug says, I think all season long when they put out the official depth chart, I think it's going to be Gunnar Hoke or CJ Stroud or, or, um, Jack Miller. Jack Miller. Or Jack Miller. God, that's way early in the season to be spacing on names. We just Let's said. Let's do it. 
Let's play, let's, let's play name that roster. We could go back and forth. Well, I know who Jack Miller is. I just forgot. <laughs> you guys go back and forth. Okay, I'm going to do it right now. Okay. We go back and forth, and you just each name a player. And we just go back and forth. We work our way through the whole roster, and then we're going to start getting down to like 73, 74. And see I'm ready to do this. Who that, that's that's too out. compelling of an idea. We need to save that for the special Saturday pod. I don't think we want to waste that that brilliant of an idea today let's let's move let's move to the back move along in the backfield this is another position where not prepared to do it this is a position where i think it sounds like someone wants to get his work done and have dinner tonight (laughs) doesn't need to spend another hour picking uh the the bottom of the of the of the roster um running back's another position where we're going to have an or right i mean i think it's going to be master teague or trey sermon i i think maybe master teague gets the first snap kind of in recognition for a guy who was already here, a guy who everything he went through to come back. But I think it's still a split there. Agreed. We already talked about it a lot. I think that's exactly right on all yeah. part, all parts. Yeah. I agree. Let's move on to the receivers where I think there is a, a slightly more intrigue. Chris Olave is going to start on the outside. Garrett Wilson's going to start inside at slot. I think Jameson Williams is another outside receiver to start the season. I don't know how much difference it makes. I guess Chris Olave is your Z and, and he's your X, but does it? I don't know how much that necessarily matters. Um, do we think the other three spots are freshmen? Do we think the, the number two spots are freshmen to start the season? Yes. With. Yes. Had yeah. Demario McCall been at that practice? I would have said maybe Demario McCall is the number two slot just because, I mean, Garrett's probably going to play the bulk of that anyway, and it gives Jackson Smith and Jigman and Mookie Cooper more time to develop. But he wasn't there. So, yeah, I think the number two spots at all three are freshmen. Yeah, I think they like Jackson Smith and Jigman. I think they like all of them. Yeah. So I think everybody except Mookie Cooper, who did not get to play his last year of high school football because uh, of an eligibility issue, I think the other three guys are probably ahead of him just because of that. And that I think G Scott, Julian Fleming, and Jackson Smith and the Jigba are all in the rotation. I don't think it's if that's not the case, I'm not gonna, you know, collapse on the ground, but I think that's a reasonable expectation at the moment. Kind of blown right through the offense. I think that's true. I mean, I don't think there's a lot really to, to break down there. I think those are are certainly the people everyone expected to be entrenched as the six guys, and it seems like it's playing out that way. On the offensive line, here's another area I think where I think the starters have been kind of set in stone, or maybe not in stone. Maybe that's not true of right tackle. But I, the other four spots, I think it's been set this way for for months. Thayer Munford at left tackle, Harry Miller at left guard, Josh Myers at center, Wyatt Davis at right guard, and then from what we heard from um, Ryan Day yesterday, Nicholas Petit Frere definitely seems like the guy who's getting the call at right tackle over Paris Johnson. Anything about that surprise you guys? I think we've seen that coming now for a while. No, actually. And part of it is Paris Johnson's the left tackle of the future. So why not just make him the swing guy as a true freshman? So he has experience at both spots. So he slides in that much easier to left tackle next spring instead of having to, you know, cause that it's, they're both tackles, but it's just, they're, 
Some different movement there, so why not just make him the swing guy? If they thought Paris Johnson was better than Nicholas petit Frere, Paris Johnson would be the right tackle. I mean, that's guys move from right tackle to left tackle in a year. Taylor Decker started at right tackle and then became the left tackle the next year. If they thought Paris Johnson gave them a better chance to win, Paris Johnson would be the right tackle. I thought the way Ryan Day talked about Nicholas petit Frere, he was a little circumspect in a lot of job battles when he was asked about stuff on Tuesday. The one where he revealed something was Nicholas petit Frere's had a great offseason, and he's been working more with the ones. That, to me, read as a five-star who did not win the job last preseason, who he wanted to give a public shout-out to. I think a lot of times when guys are confident in themselves and maybe they're worried about don't get a big head, they never talk about them. And when they have some talented guys who could need a boost, they make sure to mention them in the media. I thought that that was, hey, NPF, good job. We believe in you. And like Paris is going to be fine. But if they thought Paris was better, Paris would be the right tackle and they would deal with him being the left tackle next year. So I'm not surprised by that. But I, I, don't, I didn't think it was guaranteed. I didn't think it was guaranteed well, for sure that NPF was going to be the right tackle. So, like, good for him. Listen, Paris Johnson's really thinking good. He's going to be great. So, Nicholas petit Frere could not beat out Brandon Bowen last preseason, and it feels like he did beat Paris Johnson out this preseason. So, I'm eager to see Nicholas petit Frere at right tackle. But, again, we're going to play a bunch of guys – they might give Paris Johnson a series here and there, but they're not going to rotate tackles. They're not going to rotate. The other thing that happened is there was a time when like, you know, we went from like, we think Harry Miller's a left guard to like everybody being like, of course, Harry Miller's a left guard. Harry Miller's a left guard. Like it just happened. And that's just because Harry Miller is a really highly related, highly rated recruit who just absolutely must have taken care of business every single day. Cause there was never a doubt. And then remember that time for like, 54 hours when we were like who's the right guard because why yeah. they opted out yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was set in stone right up until that moment when riot when wyatt davis threw the stone on the ground then it smashed into a million pieces and then he glued it back together so uh that was a strange time when we thought wyatt davis wasn't going to be here it said something who- about the twos yeah I don't know who they're going to put down as the backup left tackle and right tackle on the depth chart. They may put Paris Johnson as the backup to Petit Frere, I guess. But that left tackle, don't you think in reality, the left tackle backup is either Nicholas Petit Frere or Paris Johnson? To the point that Steven just made, I don't think it's Nicholas Petit Frere. I think it's Paris Johnson. But don't discount Dewan Jones. That was the other name I was going to bring up. And I think that he's probably, he maybe he gets listed third at both of those spots or maybe he would be the guy that they turn to at left tackle i don't know they're not gonna i don't think they'll they don't usually list the same guy at multiple spots so the question is if If thayer munford gets hurt who's the left tackle right that's what matters and my guess my my guess would be it's i'm pretty sure it's not nicholas petit frere i don't think the answer is move petit frere who has like never played a snap of left tackle at ohio state that's fair yeah yeah. I think Petit Frere stays at right. If Petit Frere gets hurt, Paris Johnson's the right tackle. If Munford gets hurt, is the left tackle Paris Johnson, who has been in a right tackle fight, but also is going to be the left tackle and can play left? Or is it Dewan Jones, who I bet when they run the twos in is probably the left tackle? I don't know for sure. It's one of those things, again, if it happened in the middle of a game, I wouldn't be shocked if Dewan Jones went in for Thayer Munford. 
if it's a multiple game injury, I bet they would get Paris Johnson ready to be the left tackle with a week of preparation. I think I agree with that. Yep. I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't really know. I mean, he, he, Dewan Jones has even worked out some at guard that we've seen. So mm-hmm. he's a fascinating guy and I'm, I'm intrigued to watch the next three years of his career. Can I ask a question since I haven't been on most of the interviews? Have we talked to stud? No, no, we get him next week, supposedly. We do? Okay. That was the, the plan. The way they had it sketched out was we got him next week with the offensive linemen, but that's also game week, so I don't know what's yeah. – they haven't given us an update on that, but I, allegedly we're getting him next week. But that's the one position group coach and position Correct. players we haven't Correct. gotten yet, right? Correct. And although mm-hmm. we did get Myers and Davis earlier in the offseason. With, ca- with, like, the captain stuff. And we had them on another day, too. So that may have been why they saved those guys for last. I'm not sure. But um, backups, I, I, you know, somewhere, those three middle spots, uh, the guys I put down, Matthew Jones, Luke Whipler, Ryan Jacoby. But I, any quibbles with those three as being, like, the two guards in the center? I don't I have think, any. Go ahead. I think if Josh Myers gets hurt, I think they slide Harry Miller over the cent- over center and Luke Whipler or Matthew Jones steps in at left guard. Mm. I think that's possible. I think the thing that, you know, it's always interesting about backups. I'm sure Luke, it feels like Luke Whippler is definitely a future starter on this offensive mm-hmm. line. I don't know if Matthew Jones and Ryan Jacoby are future starters on this offensive line. Matthew Jones was a pretty highly rated recruit, but he's a little bit older. And I mean, you have to, you think about that. Well, you know, Myers and Davis are going to be gone next year. And that just affects how I view guys now, right? That's how I affect every backup. It's a, are you a backup? Or are you a future starter who's a backup for now? That affects my perception of you while you are a backup. And I'm of those three, Whipplers is the only one who I'm sure I will see start at Ohio State one day. I, I Which have is a down. little bit of a problem because I don't, to my knowledge, Donovan Jackson, who's the number one guard in the country, isn't early enrolling. So I don't. I mean, if, if, you know, two of the three interior linemen next year, not that this is the 2021 depth chart podcast, but two of the three interior linemen next year, Harry Miller and Luke Whippler. And so then who's the other one? Yeah. It, it might be Matthew Jones. It might be Ryan Jacoby, but it also might be somebody that like, we're not exactly thinking of right now. I, yeah. I thought mm-hmm. Enoch Vamahi is someone in there too, yeah, but it might also name. be, it might mm-hmm. also be Dewan Jones um, who's right, yeah, played some right guard. guard. I mean, that would be, sure. man, I would love to see a 360 pound, Right guard. Big right guard. Pulling out there, leading the <laughs> – that would be a lot of fun, I think. Um, tight end is the last position, and I think this is, again, pretty set in stone. Luke Farrell started last season. Jeremy Rucker was technically the second guy in. Um, they played together a lot of times, obviously, in the two tight end slots. No reason to think that that's going to change, I don't think, for 2020, at least to start the season. No, I don't think there's any reason to think that'll change. I'm just, I'm very curious how much they do or don't use Ruckert. Do you guys know the snap counts last year? Do you know who had more snaps last year, Farrell or Ruckert? I think Farrell. I would pretty sure Farrell would, yeah. Again, from our friends at 11 Warriors, Farrell 459, Ruckert 404. It's pretty close though. Basically equal. I mean, for instance, the Clemson game, Ruckert played 47 snaps, Farrell played 43 snaps. So they really that, – that goes to show – I mean, they do, play, they do play 12 personnel, decent amount, two tight ends. I'm curious to see how often Jeremy Ruckert is standing up. Is he offset? Is yeah. he in motion? Is he in the, some kind of slot thing? 
I'm just curious, or is he kind of, because I think Luke Farrell will have his hand on the ground and do a really good job, what Luke Farrell has done a really good job of doing for the past couple of years. But the, the Ruckert usage and the Ruckert, is there a world where Ruckert is sort of like both the second tight end and the second slot receiver, where Garrett Wilson's backup, in quotes, is Jeremy Ruckert? That if it's like if Garrett Wilson's and that's not because Garrett Wilson's tired, it's because here's our personnel in the game. We're 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 putting in a personnel package, and actually, we, the one thing we could have talked about with running backs that we didn't talk about was when Ryan Day said they might use two running backs, mm-hmm. which I've heard. I, I love it. I love that look. They never do it. But if Ryan Day is moving toward a more of an NFL look, it wasn't a look that made sense like in the Urban Meyer offense. But the more NFL-related they get, you can do some stuff. I love quarterback in the shotgun and a real running back. not a, No fullbacks, but two true tailbacks on either side of the quarterback mm-hmm. in the shotgun. I love that look. And then you can do – you can, both can release and be pass catching options. You can hand to one and have the other guy be his lead blocker. Hey, you're a star tailback block for your friend on this play. I love that. They never do it. If they start doing that, I'm going to freak out. I'm going to be so excited. But if you put in a personnel package that only has two receivers and in the huddle, not that they huddle that much, but when the personnel comes in, that's what coaches want to do. They want to have a personnel look that has the defense react but then when you line up the personnel formationally, you surprise them with the look. So you bring in maybe two running backs and two tight ends. All of a sudden, you bring in an extra linebacker. You take a cornerback maybe out of the game, take a slot corner out. But now when you line up, Ruckert's in the slot. Ruckert's lined up like he's Garrett Wilson. And now what? Now I now you got something. Will how often will they do that? I'd love to, I'd love to see it a decent amount, but I don't know. I want to double back on that the double running back thing because I think that's more an intriguing way to end this this side of the ball because um, I did kind of move right past it but he did mention it yesterday and it made me think like that doesn't necessarily mean to me that you'd be talking about Teague and Sermon right maybe that's where you can get Demario McCall on the field in, in an interesting situation someone like that like I think there there are just multiple ways that you could use that I agree with you Doug I think it's a I love that look too that that the shotgun with two running backs or even Maybe I guess everything's out of shotgun really in the college game now, but I mean, I think it would be a, a really fun look. It'd be interesting having a guy like Trey Sermon, I mean, who's a pass catcher, and if Master Teague's the guy who's pass pro, then you swing out Trey Sermon to the other side, and he's a pass catcher, and I mean, there's a play for you right there. Maybe that's how they use Trey Sermon in the passing game. And I do think it's one of those things. It's it's hard because the best thing about about your personnel groupings is when you can't tell what the offense is going to do based on the personnel grouping, because Mm -hmm. you have two backs in the game who can pass block, pass catch and run the ball. And so you don't know what's going to happen. That's just the hard thing. Like with, and and there was a time when it was like, Oh, a third down back. Like if Demario's in the game is, are you going to count on Demario to pass protect Justin Fields? Like if Demario's in the game, are you going to hand the ball to DeMario and have him run between the tackles? If DeMario's in the game with another running back, are you going to hand it to Trey Sermon and have DeMario be the lead blocker? Right? So it's like, I'm, I'm here for it. Everybody listening to this knows I'm here for anything related to DeMario McCall. I just think it, it, it's not quite as versatile, right? Because you have an idea of kind of how you think they're going to use that guy, which makes me think again, 
it just feels like a hard road to the field for Demario McCall in this offense. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Running back over the offense before we take a break, because we got some breaking news in college football today that we want to talk about. Uh, Justin Fields at quarterback. We think C.J. Stroud maybe has the inside route to be the true backup there, but it may be a gunner hoax situation if they need someone early in the season. Uh, Master Teague and Trey Sermon, you're looking at an or there at running back, but we kind of agree Master Teague might be the guy first on the field on the season opener against Nebraska. Starting receivers, Jamison Williams, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson in the slot, and then G. Scott, Julian Fleming, and Jackson Smith and Jigba in behind them. Left tackle, Thayer Munford. Left guard, Harry Miller. Center, Josh Myers. Right guard, Wyatt Davis. Right tackle, Nicholas Petit-Frere. Possibly Dewan Jones is the backup left tackle. Possibly Paris Johnson if they actually need someone long-term. And then in the middle, the interior guys, Matthew Jones, Luke Whipler, Ryan Jacoby, Enoch Vamahi. There's a lot of names you could mention, and I don't know that we have great intel as to exactly how that's going to to uh, to be set up for the season opener. And then it, it tied in Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert in, in the same situations they had last year. Let's take a break there. We're going to come back with Hold on. a oh, little bit. Not, what about Jake? I mean, Jake Hausman's still here. And Third tight end, just like yeah. last year. Yeah. How, he played um, half, he played half just, as many snaps. He's just going to like engulf Rashad Berry snaps as that third tight end all the time? I guess. I don't know that it's a huge – factor in what this team is this season frankly yeah i'll be curious i mean they'll line up maybe in 13 every now and then like goal line have three we, we saw them have some good success with sometimes a three tight end yeah. look uh down near the goal line but it i mean it is a little weird when you look at the snaps because it's like feral 459 ruckert 404 but then barry and hausman combined had 475 mm-hmm. so like barry and hausman combined were like equal to the other two. So it's like they had three tight ends who played equally. They just split the third tight end yeah. spot between two guys. And now one of those guys is gone. But my guess would be that Jake Houseman does not end up with as many snaps as Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert. So maybe the result is that that creeps up more towards Ruckert and Farrell are in the 500s and Houseman's yeah. in yeah. the 300s. I mean, that's kind of how I looked at it. I didn't mean to just like gloss over Houseman, but I just, I mean, no, I think I there's a separation between the top two and then him as the, the number three guy. So we'll take a break there. We are going to come back and we are going to talk about, it's going to be a little COVID talk because there's been some developments, including while we were recording this podcast that I, I think are worth mentioning again in relation to what's coming up for the Big Ten. Stay tuned on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. If you were at the live, part of the live podcast we did Tuesday night or were listening to that Wednesday, part of that discussion centered on what's going on around college football in terms of the COVID-19 situation. The development that happened on Tuesday was that 19 Florida players tested positive and that they were shutting down or, or pausing all of their activities while they figured that out, while they you know did the contact tracing and quarantine people and their game now against LSU on Saturday has already been postponed. As we were recording this podcast, it was announced that Alabama coach Nick Saban and athletic director Greg Byrne have also both tested positive for COVID-19. So Nick Saban will not be coaching against Georgia. Assuming, I assume, I haven't read the, even read the stories yet where this is happening live as we're talking to you. Um, so I assume they've already done the confirmation testing and he won't be able to coach on Saturday against Georgia. Again, I think these things – I know people are, are fatigued talking about coronavirus, 
but I think these things are important to keep reminding people that the Big Ten may not be completely out of the woods and Ohio State may not be completely out of the woods for having to deal with this going forward. And I think the one important distinction, though, is, for instance, with the Florida situation, I saw comments from their athletic director today that players started exhibiting symptoms, so then they did a round of testing. Maybe it was already a scheduled round of testing, and they got a bunch of positives. And since then, they have started testing daily to try to get this under control. The Big Ten, obviously, is already testing on a daily basis. That's kind of their whole strategy. Their whole basis for restarting the season was they were going to test on a daily basis before every practice, before every game, and that by that practice, they will not be able – they will not have the kind of outbreaks that you're seeing in the SEC and other programs. So that's really the, the, the question that's still to be answered. Did that, will that strategy work for the Big Ten, or are they going to end up having some of the problems that Florida, that obviously now Alabama, that Baylor, that other major programs are still having as we are getting into mid to late October? So football coaches are dumb when they talk about COVID most of the time. Dan Mullen was dumb when he talked about it, and sort of his AD sort of said that, I think, on, on Wednesday in saying like, hey, have all these positive tests when Dan, when your coach was saying, hey, we should pack the stadium. And he was like, sometimes coaches don't know what they're talking about with that stuff. Someone just tweeted this, Michael Weinreb, who's a good, a good college football writer, tweeted this about Nick Saban testing positive. In a normal country, the most fastidious human being in America testing positive might cause you to rethink things. Nick Saban is a master of detail. Nick Saban is 68 years old, which is not a, an age to be joking around about COVID-19. Nick Saban has a team that he thinks can win a national title. Nick Saban is a guy who, as he is lifting the national championship trophy again and again and again, he is grimacing because he is thinking about all the recruiting that he is behind on for the next year. Nick Saban is a genius at organization and Nick Saban got COVID. It's fallen apart in the SEC. They postponed a huge game between Florida and LSU. Ole Miss, which just played – Ole Miss has an outbreak. They just played Alabama. Now the Alabama coach has it and the Alabama AD has it. The SEC has fallen apart with COVID. This is not, oh, a couple things are happening. We've ignored it because it was like non-Power 5. It's like, oh, well, the SMU had a thing or whatever. This is creeping into the highest level of college football. There's no higher level of college football than Nick Saban. So this is, it's not a five alarm fire. It's like a two alarm fire. So prepare yourself and cases are going up everywhere and people are letting their guard down and the NFL's having cases and anything that's not like an airtight bubble is at risk. And we are getting reminded of that right now. The big 10 is going to do it tighter and better than the sec is doing it. And that might, a, keep everybody safer, but B, it's also going to find more positives, which is C, going to shut down more stuff. So we saved it till the end because it's not fun to talk about. This is a big freaking deal. The coach, the greatest coach, the 68-year-old greatest coach in college football history has COVID-19. If he can get it, anybody can get it. And the SEC has let its guard down. And as much as Ryan Day is talking about watching games on Saturday and trying to learn from all the defensive mistakes that's going out there, man, you better be learning from what's going on with 
COVID right now, or this season's going to get shut down for everybody. This is a bad week. This is a bad week. Florida led the way, and it's some of it's bad luck. Some of it's irresponsibility. It has to be. There's no way that it's all bad luck because we, we know how to avoid this. People are letting their guard down. And if everybody continues on this path, we're not going to have a national championship in college football because we're not going to have the end of a season. I think we said something similar, something like this back when the Big Ten decided to make the decision. They did. We said, we're either going to look at the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC, and the Big Ten's going to look like idiots, or they're going to look like the smart guy. But either way, it, it's not good for anybody. And right now, the Big Ten's actually looking like the smart people in all this by, you know, I guess postponing and taking their time and being as strict as they are. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, I think it's very fair to say that if the Big Ten had started in August – without the protocols that they have in place now and that the SEC and some of these other conferences still don't have in place. If they had started under those circumstances, we would have been reporting on all sorts of messes here for the last two months. I, I have no trouble saying that definitively. Like, I don't think that's being like a negative person or a pessimist or, or a, a Corona bro or whatever that people like to throw out there. I mean, it's just obvious because every other program, every other, all the people who cover all the other schools, in those conferences have been doing it. That's what they've been reporting on. Everybody's been touched by it. Almost everybody in some way, whether it's, I mean, Clemson's playing now, but Clemson had a huge outbreak at some point. A lot of ACC schools did. I mean, you've seen it in the big 12. Like I just said, Baylor having to, to postpone games. I mean, it's, it's, it's a still a widespread problem throughout this country. And I think it, Doug, what you said is really smart. You love hearing that every once in a while. That's your one time. That's what? the one time in 2020 mark it down. That's the one time in 2020. <laughs> That's the that's I reached my quota. I mean, we got three months left. <laughs> <laughs> it, it took me till October, and that's it. We, uh, yeah. but you're what you're saying is really smart. That like the, what the Big Ten is setting up helps prevent it helps prevent that one that somehow sneaks in from becoming two and eight and sixteen and whatever these outbreaks these programs are having. But sometimes that one is still going to be huge. Sometimes that one is still going to be you don't have a great player for the, your next game. And sometimes it is going to be irresponsibility. Sometimes it's going to be, like you said, bad luck because this is a communicable disease. And these guys aren't walking around laminated from head to toe hermetically sealed. As much as they're trying to, to do everything they can to avoid it, a lot of people who've done everything they can to avoid it have still gotten it. So, I, I... Uh, But the, part of it is – I mean, we're watching these games and the people aren't all social distanced. People Uh aren't all wearing masks. The coaches on the sidelines, I I think in the, in the old miss Alabama game, it looked like Saban was locked up pretty tight with his mask the whole game. As we said before, Len Kiffin, his mask was a joke and it was around his neck most of the time. I, I don't, I'm actually very curious. Like there's a, there's a fine structure in the NFL if coaches don't wear their masks the right way. Is anybody finding these college football coaches who are flaunting the rules or is there, is it even a rule or is it a suggestion and what's the big 10 going to do if their coaches on the sidelines don't wear their masks the whole time, or maybe well, you're allowed to pull it down for one second, whatever the rule is, because NFL coaches are getting in trouble. Who's going to have the college coaches get in trouble for their own good. Nick Saban 68. And like I said, Saban had it locked up tight, but you watch, watch an SEC game and tell me it feels like, People are being careful in the age of COVID. doesn't feel like it to me. And guess what? There's positive tests. So it's just reality. 
And here we are, honestly, this is the thing. It's like, well, the president got it. It was like, well, you know, I mean, you kind of, I don't know that anybody was shocked that the president got COVID, but it's like the coach of Alabama got COVID. Now you're talking. Now it's serious. So I don't, people maybe don't want to hear it. We, we're lagging, man. We're, all the numbers are going up. And around the, around the world, Italy, going back up. I don't know if it's the second wave. I don't know if it's still part of the first wave. Feels like we got tired of it. And the NBA didn't get through its season in the bubble by getting tired of living by the rules. I'll tell you that much. So they had a and guy. They had stricter rules than the rest of the, the, the normal world had. Yeah, we could all learn from the NBA bubble. But this is not it, college football. This is not it. And we've really kind of been – it's not fun to talk about and fun to think about. But, you know, the number of postponed games is like up into the 30s now. We just haven't cared because it's, it's Tennessee State right? It's Troy or whatever. We don't care. But now it's LSU Florida and it's Nick Saban and now we care. So if, if people aren't smarter about it, I'm talking to you, SEC, but everyone else learned from it. If people aren't smarter about it, we're not going to have a season. Alabama against Georgia this Saturday. They're at Tennessee next Saturday. You got to assume that if this, if it is a true positive test and he has to miss, I mean, it's going to be more than one game. So obviously I don't have anything against Nick Saban. I hope he recovers and is back on the field as soon as possible. But um, I think you're right, Doug. It, it, there, there just seems to still be a disconnect in this country and in the sport about how seriously people are taking this. So uh, hopefully the, the big 10. The one thing, all the reports right now is like he's symptom free. And that's the whole thing about this. If you're listening to mm-hmm. this and saying like, why is everyone getting fired up? It's not a big deal if you get it. That's not the point when it comes to college football. We don't want anyone to have any health effects. So if you think it's not a big deal, he can't coach against Georgia. Whether he has symptoms or not, he's not going to be on the sideline against Georgia on Saturday. That's an effect. Whether I don't know what the symptoms of the Florida players are or not. They're not playing LSU on Saturday. So maybe you're not worried about it from a health standpoint. That's your decision. That's fine. How you take that in and how you let it affect your life. They're not playing, the, they're not playing all the games they're supposed to play. All the people involved aren't involved. So there's the competitive balance part of this. And maybe if you're not worried about health, I think you probably are worried about competitive balance because you want Ryan Day at every game. You want Justin Fields at every game. You want Wyatt Davis at every game. You want Pete Werner at every game. And if Ohio State and the Big Ten don't stay on it, they're not going to have that. So even if nobody really gets sick, and God, please make sure nobody gets sick, but it's going to screw up the games. It's going to screw up the season. And in the case of the Florida outbreak, the testing was triggered by players reporting symptoms, I believe. And maybe it was already, I know the players reported symptoms and maybe the tests were already scheduled to go, but there were symptomatic players. So it's not completely asymptomatic people who never affect, feel the effects of this that are turning in positive tests, even among these young, healthy college football players. That's going to wrap up Buckeye Talk today. Come back with us on Friday. It's the last retalkables before the start of the 2020 season. We are going all the way back to 2014 against Nick Saban when Ohio State beat the Tide in the college football playoff semifinals. I'm Nathan Baird. For Doug Lamer East, for Stephen Means, that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>